0: welcome to the sarah centrella show join best-selling author master life coach and manifesting expert sarah centrella as she shares tips tools and inspiring interviews to help you create your dream life it's time to hustle and thrive now here's your host sarah centrella Hello everyone and welcome to the show. Today, I'm excited for you guys to meet a personal friend of mine. Her name is Madonna Salehi. She is the founder and CEO of Ziba Hub. We are gonna be talking about that whole transition of leaving your corporate job to follow your passion, follow your dream and what it's like to start a company, fundraise, um, do a tech app, all of that stuff Uh, So make sure that you listen to the end because Madonna shares um, a really personal and special uh, part of her past with us. And I also wanted to remind you that I have launched the weekly five. And what that means is every single Friday at 6 p.m. I am going to be picking five winners from my Instagram. uh, And how you enter is comment on new posts in my feed. So make sure that you turn on post notifications in Instagram And you can get an entry for every comment that you make. So participate. I want to hear from you. And the winners are going to get everything from signed books to personal coaching, uh, courses, all kinds of great stuff. So enjoy today's show. All right, everybody. Welcome to the show. It's time to hustle and thrive. And I am
1: honestly so jazzed for you guys to meet uh, my special guest today, Because this is a personal friend of mine. This is my girl, Mandana. We have been friends since probably nine months or so after my ex-husband left. Um, It was actually, we were co-workers at the the company I worked at when uh, I put my very first future board up there uh mandana was on the trip to new york which was the very first thing that i ever manifested so we're going to chat about all kinds of stuff but specifically entrepreneurship today we're we're going to get into that because i think there's a lot of you listeners out there women especially who would love to start your own business maybe uh even a tech business and we're going to get into all that so welcome to the show mandana solehi welcome girl Thank you, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. I know I'm so excited for this chat because so here's here's the thing: as women, as entrepreneurs, uh, you and you and I really started our business pretty close timeline-wise. I started in 2017. Um, I think you started a little bit after that. You've been one of the few people in my personal life who both live in the Portland metro who we could uh, you know, go have brunch or go get lunch or go to each other's offices and just talk about some of the stuff that I want us to talk about today because it's been a hard journey starting your business. Uh, I think you could probably concur with that. Uh, when did you start your business? Yeah, so it was right around the end of 2017 um, when I Finally decided I was going to do it. Obviously, like most people who start a business, i had been thinking about it and overthinking it for a long time. And then finally, I got to the point where I was like, "Okay, this is it." And that was right around the end of 2017,
0: which was very yeah, much that's in line I,
1: with when you were doing yours. Yeah, I started in February of 2017. I know we had um, you were one of the few people that I could sit down and you know over drink over coffee and just talk about some of this stuff you know, because my circle is small. Um, I think yours probably is too. And so it, it was so refreshing to be able to feel like I wasn't alone. In, uh both the fears of starting something new, and also getting the encouragement. And I remember when you and I had lunch probably right before you started, and you were kind of telling me the idea of your business. And I was like, Oh, my God, girl, you have to go for it. And at that point, you had been in corporate for A long time. You built a really stellar (laughs) corporate career in business development. Tell us a little bit about uh, both your kind of career in corporate, and then what made you finally take the plunge in starting your own thing. I don't even know how I got into corporate life because my dream initially was to work with kids. So when I went to college, I got a criminal justice and psychology degree, and I started working in like the juvenile department in Salem as my practicum and I thought okay I'm going to end up in law enforcement I'm going to be a probation officer I'm going to be some kind of counselor that was the realm that I was living in and I was teaching these GED classes down at the juvenile department as part of my practicum for school and it sort of dawned on me that maybe that's not the career choice I want to pursue Something I can't imagine. About... <laughs> I can't imagine you. I'm sorry. I just can't. <laughs> I know. For anybody who knows me now, they're like, "What are you talking about? That really happened." Um, after that, I ended up working with kids for about another year or so in different capacities. I was working with teenagers, and that was right around the time I had the realization that what I wanted to do was make a much bigger difference in the world. And working for these small organizations or these, you know, government-run agencies where I was confined to to following these rules when I interacted with the kids just didn't fulfill me, and I felt like my hands were tied. And there were times where, like, I wanted to give them a hug, and I wasn't allowed to. There were times where, you know, they would get done with their class, and I wanted to drive them home just so they were safe because it was dark out, but I wasn't allowed to. Mm -hmm. And so all of the rules just made me feel like I wasn't really making as big a difference as I wanted to. and. I remember telling myself, well, I'm going to go do something else, and I'm going to come back later when I have some money and some real power, and I'm going to make a difference. And that was the end of the road. And so I decided that I was going to go into corporate life, but I didn't know what I would do at that point. So the thing that made the most sense to me was to be a corporate trainer because I was already teaching. And so I took some of those skills, and they – sort of transferred them into being a corporate yeah. trainer, and that's kind of where it began. <laughs> that's so crazy, and when I met you, uh, we were both at a startup. Um, I shared some of the story of, like, how I got that job um, in Hustle Believe Receive, and it's so funny. I'm, I will never forget the first time I met you. Y'all, Mazana is a badass, <laughs> okay? So, Um, I remember I'd been through like maybe three interviews by this point. uh, It was totally one of those companies that felt like you needed 10 interviews in order to be legitimately hired. Uh, And so I walked into a boardroom and there was like maybe four or five executives there. And Mandata, of course, was the only other woman besides me. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm never going to get this job because I cannot impress this chick. <laughs> I'm not going to – like she's, she's going to put me through the ringer and she's going to hate me, you know. And it's so funny how 10 years later, 11 years later, um, the friendship that we've grown over it. But I will also never forget that um, in that meeting I was asked, like, you know, where do you see yourself or, you know, what are your goals? <clears throat> and I remember I was – it was interviewing for like an inside sales job or some shit, you know, like total starter position. And I was like, I'm going to be the VP of sales or national director of sales or something like that. And I was shaking, like my whole body was shaking. And I was like, Oh, this girl's going to hold me to it. Um, but it's been, it's been so fun to kind of watch, you know, your career over the last eight or nine years and, um, you skyrocketed in tech. You've, you had a strong background in tech. How long were you? Um, like 10 years probably, right? Yeah, just about, in that 10, environment. Years. Just about yeah. 10 years. I was, you know, Mostly I worked in sales. What, what people don't know about me is I started working in call centers when I was 14. So even though I always talk about how I hate doing sales, but it was really just what I was good at, so I fell into it, and I ended up working my way up the sales um, management ladder. I started when I was 14 years old. I Took the max train. (laughs) Took the max train here in Portland to go get a work permit, and I got a job at a call center that was um, taking inbound calls. It was from an infomercial for Apple Performa computers. I don't even know what it (laughs) was. Wow! And if you called in. I would take your, your name and your email address, or email, nobody had email, your uh, mailing address, and we would ship you a big box with information about this Apple Performa computer and why you should buy it. Oh, and my so, God. so <laughs> from there, I worked call center jobs. I did outbound, I did inbound, I did political campaigns, anything that was thrown at me um, through this agency where they would just take assignments. I did it for years. I mean, I worked call center jobs all through college. So the crazy. If you want to cut your teeth in sales, right over the phone. It's it's, awful, and it's a great it's a great way to get in. It's such a good well, and it's such a good training. Honestly, both those things that that you just mentioned, both the ability to not have fear on the phone, which is every salesperson's nightmare. Mm -hmm. Um, but but then all the training that you spent in ten years in tech. All of that led you to what you do now. So can you tell everybody um, what it is you do now, what your idea was, because it started with an idea, and it was ambitious. Um, (laughs) You didn't know how to to do it. Uh, Take us back there to, like, when you had the idea uh, and then how you acted on that. Sure. So. The company that I founded um, in 2018 is called Ziva Hub, Z-I-V-A. Ziva means beautiful and farsi, which is my native tongue. And what we created is sort of a takedown of LinkedIn, but it's specifically for the beauty and wellness industry. So the background on that is that my mom's an esthetician, and we'll talk a little bit about that and how that happened in just a moment. But over the years, what I witnessed was that in my career as a sales director working in tech, the product that I leaned on the most was LinkedIn. It was sort of my day-to-day go-to, and you can probably attest to this. If you want to recruit people, you mm-hmm. go on LinkedIn. If you want to vet someone, you know, who just applied for a job, you go on LinkedIn to see who you have in common. And if you want to look for a new job for yourself, you go on LinkedIn. So for me, that was the natural go-to for anything career-related, and if I got a new cert- certificate or training, I would go put it on my profile so everybody would see, and in tandem, I would be helping my mom with her career as an esthetician, and she would say, like, oh, I'm looking for a new place to go, least in a different salon, or I'm not happy where I am, but I don't know where else I can go, and I would be like, well, she could just go on LinkedIn and look for a job, and I helped her do that one time, and there was no jobs on LinkedIn for people like my mom. Mm. And then I was like, well, where do you go look for a job? So I looked on Craigslist. I looked on the Internet to see, like, where do people like my mom go for their career needs? And there wasn't a place, and it kind of blew my mind because – there's so, there are so many beauty and wellness professionals. The industry is huge. They generate so much money for the U.S. economy—about 300 billion dollars a year for services—and yet these basic career enablement tools just didn't exist. And so I decided to build it. That was That's so insane. Like That's so crazy way. to me because it's—it you know it probably was like word of mouth, which Hello has been around since like the dawn of time. And you'd think how has technology not come into this humongous? space. And and you, um, the company that you founded is app-based, yes? Um, yeah. So tell us what that process app. has been like to, because I know there's there's women listening to this right now who are like, I have this idea. I have a great idea. Um, it's an app. I want to start it. I can just run out and go do it. Talk to us about how, yeah, give us the real on what <laughs> it's like to start a technology app. So the first thing I did is I had this idea, and I had to put myself in check and make sure I wasn't making a problem where there really wasn't one. So in addition to my mom, who's great and who I love, I was like, there's got to be people other than my mom who I can talk to about this. Maybe she is a different generation, or she's not from here, so she doesn't know all the different ways you can look for a job. So I actually went to my sister-in-law, who lives in San Diego. She's a hairstylist. And she's the first person I talked to in depth where I was like, okay, okay when you want to work for a new salon, how do you look for a job? Like, what are your options? And she said, and this is like a quote, well, I just look at neighborhoods that I like and I walk into the salons and I ask if they have a chair for rent. Oh, my gosh. And I was like, You're just like what century am I living in? This is crazy. <laughs> and I was like, okay, what else do you do? And she said, well, sometimes the supply houses where we buy our professional products will have a bulletin board with – um." little tabs that you pull from salons that have chairs for rent. And I was like, okay. That's also interesting. Um, And then the last way she said is she goes, well, I might just put it on uh, Instagram or Facebook or something and just tell my friends I'm looking and then try to get somebody to refer me to their salon or wherever they work or a place that they know that might have an opening. But none of those things made any sense to me. Right. um, Especially in this case. From where I was coming from. Yeah. Yeah. And you're coming from tech, so you're like, how is this even possible? (laughs) So then I was like, well, what if you had an app where you could just pull it up and you could say, show me all the jobs, you know, hair-related jobs that are in my area within like a 20-mile radius or something. and. The other thing I found out through my sister-in-law and I knew from my mom is that the beauty and wellness industry is split, sort of almost down the middle between people who have jobs, like they get paid from an employer versus people who are independent contractors. So they're not looking for a job, they're looking to lease a space to provide their services. Mm -hmm. So the first thing I thought of was, okay, well, we can just, what if we were to build a job board, right? And half of the job board would be for people who are looking for jobs. So, like, when you change the filters, it will say how much do you want to get paid per hour or what kind of commission structure are you looking for. And the other half would be more like a real estate search. Like, where is this located? How much is the lease? What are the lease terms? And she was like, that would be really cool. I would use that. And then I was like, okay, now I have to ask, like, 100 more people just to be sure. But again, I'm not like to make sure there's a, a need. Where there isn't one. Yeah, <laughs> so I, that was the make start sure of it. A need. it was just talking to a lot of people and validating the idea and making sure that I wasn't putting my own bias on it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what they always say. Like, right when you're the person that discovers a need and nothing is is filling it, then that's usually a pretty good indicator that it's a good idea. But let's talk a little bit about kind of what you've gone through over the last year and a half um, from the standpoint of becoming an entrepreneur and my background, like I said, being in in corporate where you get a salary and there's, you know, a 401k and things like insurance and, and security to some degree uh, to go and take this huge leap on an idea. What has that been like and what are some of the, the mental hurdles that you've overcome in the last year and a half or two years. And I think you got it's, started. it's been terrifying to say the least. The very Amen. start of this journey, I was just thinking like, this is going to be a side thing I'm going to do, right? It's, it's really a love letter to my mom. I'm going to create this job board. I'm going to keep my job as a sales director because that's what I do. That's my identity. And I'm going to, figure out a way to like work with some of my friends that I know who are developers or people I know um, who will help me build this job board. And we'll just put it out and people can use them. It'll be great. And the more research I did, the more I realized the job board isn't really what people need. Um, they need an entire community. They need a platform where they can come together and they can do all the things that we do. As professionals, like exchange ideas and have a news feed where you can post articles and, you know, discuss things that are relevant to your industry. And so it became a much bigger project than I anticipated. And there was a point where I remember talking to my husband and saying, you know, this is becoming real and I don't know if I can do this and have a full-time job at the same time. And um, the next step for me was to raise money, because in tech, you typically will have an idea, you come up with sort of a prototype or proof of concept and some research, and then you go to investors, and they invest in your idea. Mm-hmm. And I had these mentors that I was talking to, um, which was really helpful in helping me stay focused on what I wanted to do. But one of the mentors I remember said to me, at some point, you need to go talk to your boss. and. Um you need to make sure that when you have that conversation you're ready to be fired. <laughs> wow. Because you know, yeah, they they're so, going to figure point out where you at have some that point conversation. Point that, yeah, it, and I kind of ran into the same thing too. It's like at some point they're going to figure out you're spending a whole lot of time doing something else and then they they start to say, "Hmm, you know, how much are you investing in me? Um mm-hmm. how did how did that conversation go?" <laughs> Well, as you can see, I'm working for myself now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was the push. I always say the universe will give you, like, a kick in the ass if we're not quite ready. If, like, we're letting fear hold us back, it'll be like, bitch, go. <laughs> yeah, at that point, you know, that's. that I remember that was very distinct. I remember the day I talked to my husband about it, and I said, okay, we um, – at that very moment, we had raised a little bit of money through friends and family. They called that a friends and family round, something really early on. We would raised a little bit of money. We found a team overseas who was building the app for us. I had, along the way, found um, an amazing advisor who was in the industry, who was very well connected, and I had validated with her that, like, this is the right idea and this is what the industry needs, and she was like, yes, we absolutely need this. We would use this, you know, in our salons and I had enough confidence that I was doing the right thing. And so when I went to my husband, I said, hey, I'm going to go have this conversation at work. There's a possibility I'm going to walk out of there without a job. (laughs) And um, I think I was really lucky at that point because he was very supportive. And he said, okay, if that's what you need to do, then I support you. And if that's what happens, then you dedicate everything that you have and you make this work. (laughs) Put it all in, girl. Put it all in. And it, 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 it doesn't... It doesn't necessarily get easier after we do that. I mean, I think there's some doors that open almost, almost right away just because we are solar focused. You know, to kind of encourage us and say, yeah, you're you're doing the right thing. You're on the right path. But that first year is fucking hell. I'm not gonna lie. So anybody out there who <laughs> wants to start a business, unless you have a giant nest egg and you're just chilling. Um, get ready to work your ass off, get ready to question everything, get ready to, um, you know, really have to work hard to silence the doubt in your own head, let alone what other people might say. So how have you done that, um, Mandana? How have you been able to keep, keep that vision strong? I mean, I know that the building, the app process was really difficult and frustrating and, you know, requires like you said, a lot of investment Um, how have you kept that end game strong in your head? I think that's been the hardest part. Being from a background where you found some success in your professional career and you've already developed this persona of who you are, and a lot of that is tied to your title, it's tied to your income, it's tied Mm -hmm. to your economic stability, and then going from that to zero income. Um, And I remember the first few months after I left my job, and I would be, like, at my son's school or something, and people would say, oh, what do you do? And, like, I couldn't say the words. Yes. I'm a CEO oh God, or I'm a founder. Jane. It was so hard, right? It was so hard. You just, just feel just like you're in your like, like, people <laughs> instantly look at you like you're a loser. You're like, oh, my God, it works so yeah. hard to not be a loser. <laughs> and I remember my husband would <sighs> be like, well, you're the CEO of a company. I'm like, okay, but it's not a real company. He's like, why isn't it a real company? I'm like, because. I don't know, because we don't make money Oh, my God. Yet. Such a big thing to be able to, like, step into that, right?
0: Now, you know,
1: when yeah, you do to say it, girl. <laughs> I couldn't even, I remember for months, like, probably the first three months after I left my job, I didn't even, like, update my LinkedIn profile, because I felt, you know, this is, like, where that imposter syndrome comes from, yeah. for a lot of women particularly, yeah. is even though it was real, and I was living it, and I was doing the work, and, you were and I was sacrificing waking up every morning. Morning. And going through the motions, for me to outwardly say, I'm the founder and CEO of this company, felt weird. I felt like people were going to laugh at me. People were going to be yeah. like, Wait, what? What are you talking about? And oh my God. I didn't so feel true. like I could do that until there was some kind of dollar sign tied to my project. Like, until I was making money, I couldn't say that I was, like... Really, the CEO of this company. and yeah. now I look back and I'm like, that's so ludicrous, that is so ludicrous. that's not but it's so that's not what makes a company. yeah, it's so interesting though. I was actually um on a client coaching call right before this, and we were talking about the same thing as it related to um, just a simple thing. like for instance, she has run forever, but she really was having a hard time saying, "I'm a runner." And I was like, girl, until you say I'm a runner, none of these other people, it's going to be hard. You know, everything about it is going to be hard. But once you say it, then you're like, oh, what does a runner do? X, Y, and Z. So I just get up and do X, Y, and Z. And it's it's so interesting how we do that to ourselves. I did it with being a writer. Oh, my God, I couldn't say I was a writer for, like, even two years after the first book came out. I remember even you and I were at um, a networking event, and everyone was, like, saying their little bio as they introduced themselves and... um, I don't even know what I said for myself and you like stopped me and you're like, Oh no, she's a published author. And I was just like, I never would have said that like <laughs> ever. And I think the second book might've already been out by then. And so it's interesting. Like once I finally did kind of force myself to do it, cause it felt really uncomfortable too. Um, then things totally changed. And then I was like, Oh, a writer writes books. And it just was crazy how it gave me permission to now continue to write books. And now my future plan is, that's eventually what I want to do till I'm like 80, you know, when I'm not doing all the rest of the stuff I'm doing. But I could never have got there without saying it. And my guess is you could have never gotten funding from all the different rounds of of funding you've gotten without being able to to stand up to those investors and say I'm the CEO, right? Right. And I think for me it comes down to it's almost like, you know, a push and pull in my head. There's two different groups that I really had to look up to to define my new identity, one group was the investors. And here are all these tech investors and I'm just gonna go on a quick tangent here and say, you know, when you're raising venture capital, it's really important to know that, you know, up until last year when the new stats came out, women get somewhere between two to three percent of venture capital every year. And that's a fact. That's not some kind of biased, you know, like
0: 20. Oh my God, can you say I that again
1: myself saying <laughs> I'm so glad you said this. Like can you say that again? Because I, I, I did not know this until you yeah. told me. Yeah. Um, and I think yeah. most women have no idea. So, say that again. So, women receive somewhere between 2 and 3% of venture capital in this country every year. And women of color receive less than 1%. So, what the if you fuck? do the math, <laughs> you know, my odds of being funded, the way that I need to be funded for a product like what I'm putting out, um, being a woman, being an immigrant, being a woman of color my odds are pretty low. That basically tells me I need to get 99 and a half no's before I get my one yes. And that's, Holy you know, for, <laughs> that's, and that's actually not that bad when I think back on being a 14-year-old working in a call center where people are like, right. hey, you're, you're $1 getting 100 a day. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, she so impressed you. That, I prepared you. <laughs> what did that experience prepare me for? Exactly. So, that's how I think I look at As I look at two different sources. I look at how the investors are receiving the product that I'm putting out and how um, I'm interpreting their rejections or you know, their uh, validation. And then the other part of what keeps me going because the investor part is soul crushing. I mean, it's, it's like the I hardest was just thing I've ever say, done in my life. About, yeah, I was just going to say, can you talk about that a little bit? Because that is probably the number one thing that people are most scared of is hearing no and rejection. And I think sales, we're lucky almost in a way because we were in corporate sales for so long and it taught mm-hmm. me to be like, whatever, <laughs> you know, like, does it suck? Yeah. Sure. Does it suck to lose that $3 million deal? I thought was a good deal. <laughs> Fuck yes. I'm going to go have a cocktail, but it, it is what it is. It's a numbers game. And you know that so many people don't have that background. They don't have that knowledge. And so every note is so personal and it makes them think maybe I, I shouldn't do this. Maybe it's a sign, you know, from the universe that I'm no good at this. Tell us, tell us the real, girl. The real, the real lowdown is that it sucks, and it sucks a lot worse than when you lose that three million dollar corporate deal. Because the reality is, when you when you work for someone else, you want that money because there's commission involved, and there's the glory of winning the deal. And you know, if you have a competitive bone in your body, which put you in sales in the first place, you don't yeah. like to lose. Right. But getting the rejection from investors is much different because they, it feels like a personal rejection. And it is a personal rejection because people yeah, always tell you, yeah, people always tell you investors don't always invest, early stage investors don't always invest in the product. They're investing in you. They believe in you. And so when you get the note from the investor, it's much more difficult to sort of work through than on the corporate side. On the corporate side, when you're selling somebody else's product, you may not get the commission, but you probably have a base salary. You're still taking something home. Yeah. And you have all these other sales in your pipeline, and you'll go get your next sale, and then you forget about this one. You can come back to it later, and you can try to close it back up later. But when you're going for investments, it's much different because every no determines your next step. Every no determines whether or not your company is going to survive and if you're going to see another day. So It's difficult, and it's it's been a lot more challenging than what I anticipated. I knew it was going to be hard. I didn't realize it was going to be as heavy of a burden as it's been. But on the counterbalance side, we put out the app about a year ago, and what I've seen and the reception from the users and the people who actually download the app or use the app or the emails that I get, the private messages I get on Instagram from people saying... I love the product. Thank you for doing this. You've inspired my peers. You guys have been, you know, a a light in these very difficult times, especially the last couple months with things that we've been going through. That's what keeps us going. That's what keeps me going is like I'll get a rejection letter from an investor one day, and then the next day I'll get this encouraging letter from a user, and I'm like, okay, I know I'm doing the right thing. (laughs) I know I'm doing the right thing. My purpose is there. It's very clear, so I need to pull myself up and just keep going. Start again. Yeah. But yep. it, it's And it's, it's so true. It's, you know, and I feel like if we're ever expecting to not have any hurdles, then we're very naive because it's just part of the process and, and it's going to be part of the growth vision that you have, you know, like they won't necessarily be these stage things that, that you're dealing with in 10 years, but there'll be other things. So I think learning, uh, a skill set on how to get through them and keeping that end vision strong, I think is super important. It's always been really important for me, like knowing, knowing what you see uh, your dream becoming at like its best case scenario. And I know you've done this too. So what, what is your ultimate dream uh, for Ziba Hub and, and for this baby that you put out into the world? My ultimate goal is to have the biggest exit in um, Portland's history for a tech company. And yeah! sounds so audacious, and I've literally had people look at me like I have three heads when i said that in public settings. But I really believe in what we're doing. I believe in the potential. I believe in this industry, and I believe it can happen, and I believe it will happen. I love that so much. Can you talk a little <laughs> bit about how your, your upbringing and um, you know your parents' upbringing has influenced your work ethic? And and what you're doing now? So I was born in. Are we talking about age? When I'm talking about age, I'll just say it. I was born in the late '70s. <laughs> Girl, I put mine out there all the time. I'm about to be 45. Up in I was I was born in Iran um in 1979, which was the year of the revolution in Iran. It was you know most most Americans know that as the year of the the hostage crisis and what happened after that, um, and now we're going to go into a history lesson, is that there was a war between Iran and Iraq. And my dad was a helicopter pilot. He was—he uh, actually was a medic pilot in the Iranian military. So he was gone a lot. He was at war. Um, he would go on these missions. And if you know anything about war in the early 80s in a remote part of the world, Um, we didn't have communication and FaceTime and knowing whether or not he was coming back from each of these missions. He would Mm -hmm. go, he would be gone for weeks or months at a time without, you know, extensive communication. And it was really scary because he was in the front line, you know, picking up injured people. So that that really is um, very transformative when I think about it to who I am because I grew up in a very strange time where my dad would be away we lived in the high-rise, and at night there would be bombings a lot of times. Um, oh so there would be Iraqi bombers that would come in, and the moms would take all the kids, and we would go down to this fallout shelter in the basement, and they had these little flashlights because the, um, the government would cut off the lights because you didn't want to be a target. And so we didn't have electricity, so we'd be, like, running down to the basement in the high-rise with all these other moms, um, and this little, like, transistor radio that would be telling people, um, you know, when it would be safe to go back up. And I just remember, like, sitting in my mom's lap, um, you know, as, like, a four- or five-year-old and waiting for the buildings to stop shaking or waiting for the sirens to stop on the, on the radio and then being able to go back up and then hoping along the way that my dad was okay and that he was going to come back home. Oh, I can't so, even imagine. I can't even imagine. Yeah, so I think, you know, for, for other people who've lived through war, like actual war zones, it's it's a, a very sobering experience, and I think it definitely forms who you are and, and your gratitude and the way that you see the world. And that was a huge part of my life, you know, growing up in a place where we may not have water for days at a time, where food may have been rationed, where, you know, you get coupons from the government of, like, how much milk you can buy every week. so. All of that took place the first eight years of my life before we were able to leave um, and make the journey across the world as immigrants. And that's why, if you really go to the core of why I created Ziva Hub, my mom, when we were getting ready to leave Iran, went to cosmetology school because she wanted to learn a universally recognized trade that would allow her to provide for her family no matter where we ended up. So when we left... The goal was to get to America, but a lot of immigrants leave their countries thinking they'll get to America, but they end up in other places. But cosmetology was like the one skill set that she knew she could cut hair no matter where we ended up. She could, if she needed to work out of our house or not even get, you know, I'm not suggesting anybody do this, but not even get (laughs) licensed. Um, But just put food on the table, she She knew that was one skill that she could do no matter where we ended up. And that's what I love about this industry is, is, um, you know, the inclusivity and the ability for people to join this industry, make a living, live out their dreams, make a lot of money, be able to buy a house and provide for their families um, no matter what their background is or where they come from. Right, and and that's something that that they love. And, yeah, and now, you know, it makes so much sense, too, that, how frustrating it would be for you as a daughter, especially as someone who's in tech. And so literally all the meetings you're going to, all the companies you're meeting with, it's like Mm -hmm. they've solved problems that existed 15 years ago, 20 years ago or whatever. And then, you know, you're, you're sitting here, finding out your mom is dealing with something as basic as like, it's hard to go figure out how to even find a job, you know? And so I, I, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. And a lot of that is stuff that I'm ashamed to say that I did not know about you. Um, (laughs) You know, I knew that, that you were an immigrant. And I think um, I've, I've been talking more on these podcasts about backstories, both my own and um, guests, because I, I think it's just, it shapes us in so many ways that we don't even realize good. You know, we take the good, right? (laughs) We take the good. And and we can learn from the not so good. Um, But certainly, that probably makes what we're going through right now not, maybe not as scary. Um, COVID, <laughs> I would say COVID. I mean, obviously, you're an adult now and you're a mom. You have two little kids, so there are different fears than it was yeah. when, when you were going through that at eight. But um, how has this been for you? And but um, um, the business was, side, we can talk about both. I'm <laughs> personally in business, I was actually. I was talking to my husband um, about a month ago, and he said something like, you know why this is so scary? Because we've never lived anything like this before. And I was like, well, speak for yourself. Like, yeah. I, <laughs>
0: <laughs> no and I give I you my background
1: lesson again? <laughs> exactly. And I think what I realized is that, you know, the COVID experience is, is in a lot of ways kind of triggering a lot of those childhood memories that I put behind. So, like, the thought mm-hmm. of, like, not being able to just get up and go to the hospital if you need to or you can't find what you want at the grocery store. Yeah. Um, these are, like, really strange things that I never thought I would have to relive again in my lifetime. Definitely not here. Right. Um, it's <laughs> it's got to like, be really surreal. Came, I'm like, we came to America so we wouldn't have to deal will never have things. to worry about those <laughs> And now I can't find toilet paper, damn it. Like, what the hell is going on? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. But all of those things, I mean, the sum of all of those experiences, I think, is what drives my ability to be more resilient than than I even anticipate at times. And, you know, you know about that. Yeah, we're so much stronger than we think we are, you know. People have always asked me, oh, you know, how did you get through your rock bottom moment? And for those of you who don't know mine, it's the first podcast episode, go listen to that. But um, it's truly because I think we all have it in us, just a lot of us aren't put in those circumstances, you know, to – I guess there's still always a choice, right? There's many people who – we'll go the other way. (laughs) And I think, I think when my rock bottom hit, I I knew I had a choice. I could either like grab anything that was close, one bottle, whatever, (laughs) just knock it up or you can figure it out. So I think we do, especially as women, we are so strong and, and can get through so much, but having said that has, has COVID changed? um, Has it been tough for the business? I know a lot of businesses are pivoting. Mine certainly is during this time. Um, how has it been for your business? It has and it hasn't. So, again, I go back to, you know, my two different buckets. I got the investor bucket and I got the user bucket. And in a way, yes, with the investor situation, it was definitely more difficult. We were in the middle of raising our next round for growth. And, you know, we, we got almost halfway there and the investors that we were talking to all sort of froze up. And they were like, okay, we're not investing right now. And that's fine. And I think, you know, again, that's another learning experience. On the other side, on the user side, it's been okay for us because the users that we have were, are, you know, beauty and wellness professionals, they're not working right now. So what they're doing instead is they're spending a lot of time online, and this has been a chance for us to sort of step in and, one, be sort of a voice of hope and encouragement and and uh, provide some, some type of comfort to them. And, two, we're now getting their attention. We're saying, hey, we're here, even though you're not looking for a job right now, or you may not be looking for a job right now, this might be a good time for you to think about things that you weren't necessarily happy about at your old job. So when you do, you know, find out when you can go back to work, here are some options. Maybe you don't have to go back to the place where you weren't feeling so inspired. Yeah, so, it could be a great time for growth in that area. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. And so, like, we didn't think we were going to have any new users on our app for um, for this time period. And this has actually been... The biggest growth period in the history of our app. So we've had more users and downloads That's joining, amazing, <laughs> joining our network than ever All before. Right, because now we have a captive audience. <laughs> get out there it's GIBA <laughs> Hub is the app? So if you're in health and wellness, you have to go download the app, set up your profile. Right? So we have individual user profiles and things like that. And get on there. Get on the. Only, do, Hub it if you're in, only do it if you're in. Only do it if you're. In uh, Oregon or Washington. <laughs> oh, well, damn it. For this time being. I know. So, we, when we launched the investors are going to be there launch, be um, our app. Uh, we decided to stay with a smaller test group, so we did Oregon and Washington. It was really supposed to be Oregon, but Washington found out and they started downloading and posting jobs. But really, we're focusing on Oregon and Washington, the Pacific Northwest, um, until we have a strong foothold and we understand everything that we need to know, and then we can grow into the national level. Absolutely. So I I check ZBetHub.com and you'll see where we're serving. <laughs> yes, it, it, the growth uh, projections are there and the dream is there and your hustle is always there. Can you tell us a little bit about what your hustle is like? like what, what does it take from, uh, from morning to night on a daily basis to, to start a company like this and an app like this? What's that hustle look like? It looks like not a lot of sleep, so it's... <laughs> <laughs> and you have two little kids, right? Your oldest is first grade and...
0: My and oldest is first
1: grade. My youngest is going to be three in a couple of days, and um, the company is almost as old as she is because I was on maternity leave wow. the first time I, I thought about <laughs> creating this app. Um, <laughs> so you got your hands full. <laughs> I've got my hand. Well, you know all about this, Sarah. You've got three yourself, so... Mm-hmm. It's a lot like it's a lot like raising a child. like you give up sleep, you give up all of your own creature comfort. <laughs> um, yeah. you give up your identity, you just kind of throw yourself into, into the project. For me, that's exactly what it felt like uh, when I, when I decided to do this thing full time, A lot of the sleep that you're losing is because of the anxiety of whether or not you made the right decision and whether or not this is going to work. And the other part of it is you're working so many hours because you are serving all of these different roles because you don't have a team right now. So yeah. when I first started I was by myself. Um, Soon I brought on a couple of partners and you know people who are working uh, alongside me full time and then we started bringing in what we call ambassadors who are people who are like, on the street who are telling other stylists about us or you know people who work for these distributing companies who drop off our cards when they go into salons and the team got bigger and um, we are up to about, like, 18 people now who work that's in different so capacities. amazing Yeah. Oh, my God. That's so amazing. awesome. That is so um, awesome. Congratulations, girl. Thank you. So that's, that's, that's the cool part, But when you first start out, you're doing everything by yourself, everything. And so there's not enough hours in a day to get all of your work done and then also be a mother and, and you know, take care of a house and leave any time for yourself right. to, like, you know, do any sort of self-care. So true. I think the thing that has always kind of helped me get through that, because, you know, when I wrote the first book, which, by the way, is 300 pages, I don't know how I wrote a 300-page book, Um, but I did that while having a full-time 40-hour work, you know, week job, uh, traveling for work, and then raising my three kids by myself, they were younger then, uh, as well. And I think you have to to get good at time blocking, you know, where mm-hmm. you're like, okay, the two hours that my kids get home until they have to do homework or whatever, like, that's just kid time, you know, and, mm-hmm. and this is just that time. And that has saved my life because people always ask, like, you know, how are you able to do it all? And I'm like, honestly, I write from eight o'clock to probably three in the morning. <laughs> Does everyone want to mm-hmm. do that? Probably not. But you know what, when you when you know there's an end in sight, I think that's the other piece of it too. Like you know that when you have fundraised to the point where you're national and whatever, the company has grown to that place, you're not going to have to work that much. You'll have a team in place. You can take a lot of that on. And I think a lot of women get really tunnel vision on what it looks like right now and can't mm. ever imagine what it would look like when you're delegating a lot of this stuff, when you have help, you know, when you're at a place that you can afford uh, Mm -hmm. to have someone help out with the kids or cook your food or come to your house and work you out, whatever the case is, it's like, Mm -hmm. you have to have that. That's honestly what keeps me going. It's like, yeah, I'm willing to hustle like hell for two or three years because I know that that payoff is going to be, Ten times bigger than anything I I could have gotten in corporate, and also because it will end. And when it does, I need to expand my my life. You know, I know one of the things you talk about, Sarah, is like having that vision and focusing on the things that you want and making those things happen. For me, that definitely works. But A lot of what I draw my inspiration from is like goals that I've already accomplished. So when you look back at what you've accomplished, I go back to like being eight years old and. When we first moved here, they put me in ESL classes, which is English as a second language. So as part of the regular daily curriculum, you go to school, and then they pull you out of your class, and they take you to a different classroom where they teach you English. And I think that's, I I don't remember how many hours a day it was. Probably, you know, started out being like 70, 80% of my day, I was in ESL. And I didn't like being singled out. (laughs) I didn't like being in that class for whatever reason. I do remember my teachers, they were amazing, Mrs. Rogers. I don't know if she's around but um you know it's been 32 years she was incredible and I loved her but I didn't like being different I didn't like being singled out and so I remember telling my parents that first year I was like I'm only going to be an ESL for this year I'm not going to do this again next year and they were like well it's not up to you like kids <laughs> like you are in ESL for years like you might be there all of elementary school and I was like nope it's only going to take me a year <laughs> and I was determined to learn enough English to not have to go back to ESL. And I remember I went and I told my teacher that. I was like, I'm only going to be here until the end of the year. And she was like, um... Yeah, you're gonna to have to test out of this. This isn't, you can <laughs> this isn't optional. <laughs> yeah, and but it did work, and I really wasn't leaning ESL for a year, and I learned enough English to be, you know, back in regular classroom full time. And not have to get yeah, because you set that goal and you set it and you were determined. Like once I feel like once we say those goals too, we it gives us so much more fire to make it happen. You know what I mean? It like holds us accountable in such a different way. Yeah. And if you kinda look back on the things that you've accomplished for me, it's like, you know, I did the C S L thing and I you know, started working when I was when I was 14 years old. And everybody else was doing these fun like school activities, and I was like, no, I'm hustling on the weekend. I'm bringing home, you know, more money than most of your parents because I was working like commission jobs as a 14 year old. Mm-hmm. And I think minimum wage back then was like five dollars an hour, something like that, like four seventy five an hour, something like that. And I think I was a lot of times averaging like eighteen or twenty dollars an hour. Um, because I worked so hard in those crazy call center jobs because I was like, I'm going to be number one. I'm going to win this award. I'm going to win all this commission. And I'm like, you know, in the grand scheme of life, if you look back on all the things that you've overcome, even though they don't seem significant or maybe they didn't seem significant at the time, sometimes you draw enough inspiration from, you know, thinking like maybe I can achieve these difficult things because I've done it before. Oh, my God. It's so huge. It's so huge. I'm so glad that you brought that up because, and I am guilty of this. I, I will definitely say um, that I can get so focused on where I'm going that I'll, most of the time, I would say, um, I practice gratitude on a daily basis, which helps keep me grounded and not just totally focusing on the future. So it helps me, you know, to to learn how to be present and and make memories now and all that kind of good stuff but it also can feel like we're not making any progress, you know? And so you're so right. Whenever I get to that point where I'm like, oh my God, like why is nothing happening? That is when I will totally go back (laughs) and I'll, and I'm a journal writer. So I have literally probably 20 journals floating around this house that has a (laughs) lot of confidential information that I should probably lock down. But um, part of what I do is I write down, um, a lot of those goals and stuff. So for me, if I go back and I read in my own handwriting what I was dreaming about four years ago, five years ago, and I'm like, oh, shit, I checked that off a year and a half ago. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Those are the times when I was like, oh, okay, reality check, bitch. You are making progress. Mm-hmm. Like, settle down. Settle down. Exactly. You know? I think it's the happening. other thing that helps is when you have a goal and the end result of that goal is something outside of yourself. So we have a tendency to discredit ourselves or, you know, think that we don't deserve as much as we want in life sometimes. But my goal right now is to create some kind of economic parity in this particular industry by using the same technology that's been available to mostly male-dominant industries for this vastly female-dominant industry. And I look back on all of the advantages that I've had in being able to do social networking, um, you know, for my career. And I'm like, okay, why is it that the beauty and wellness industry didn't have the same benefits and, you know, advantages. And the only reason I can come up with is because this is a 90% female Mm -hmm. vastly diverse industry, right? Yeah. So, it's like if the people who are going to benefit from my product were mostly college-educated white men, somebody would have built it by now and they yep. It's called LinkedIn. But because the people who use this product or you know, can, can benefit from this product are mostly women, people of color, minorities, um, and, and they are up. not necessarily you know, in the same income bracket as what a lot of investors you know, consider yeah. um, consider a great target market to pursue. Then this product doesn't exist, or the this, the this, uh, the need isn't doesn't there. Doesn't exist.
0: Yeah. And so, yeah,
1: that's definitely motivating as a woman and as somebody who's kind of lived it and watched my mom live it and watched other women in my family I'm live it. And a daughter and, too? Yeah. Yeah. My so that's and I have a daughter. It it really drives me to. Work a lot harder than I would if it was just for me. If it was just like, oh, mm-hmm. it's just my side project and i going to benefit from it. Yeah, yeah. And, and it sounds cliche, but it is, it, it is I think, what drives us to our purpose. It mm-hmm. has to be bigger than us. You know, if, if I was doing what I'm doing just for me, I would have stopped a long time ago, I'll be quite honest with you. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would not be doing it. Um, but, you know, you have to. You have to, I think it comes down to legacy, right? I I absolutely want to build a legacy for my family. I want to build something that they can benefit from, that they can be proud of, that, you know, it's, it's bigger than us. And definitely bigger than me. I think that's that's such a a beautiful point, um, Madonna. Where can everybody find you and follow you and get obsessed <laughs> with you? Shock <laughs> <laughs> you on social. <laughs> I love it. Um, so uh, you can follow Ziva Hub on Instagram. We're just at Ziva Hub, Z I V A H U B. You can go to our website zivahub dot com if you send any of the private messages. On our website, I'm the one who receives them. And, of course, you can download the app if you are a beauty or wellness professional in Oregon or Washington. Um, it's just on the App Store. It's in the Google Play Store. It's just we one word. I love it. And I know that there are women on here who are investors. I know who <laughs> you are, ladies. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, hit up Mandana if this sounds like something that you would like to invest in. Um, all right. Well, I have loved, as always, our conversation. I'm so glad that my audience gets an opportunity to get to know you and learn from um, this great conversation. I just, I thank you so much. Love you, girl. Thank you, Sarah. I appreciate the opportunity. I'll see you at brunch whenever we're allowed. <laughs> I know, whenever <laughs> we're back allowed out of the house. All right, everybody, hustle and thrive and
0: make it a great day. All right, you guys, don't forget to enter the weekly five drawing. Let us know how you, um, your reactions to the show. We would love to hear it in the show notes. You'll find all Mandana's information and tag us in your posts. Can't wait to hear what you think. Thanks for listening. And remember, if you got value from today's show, please spread the love by clicking subscribe, leaving a stellar review and telling everyone you know. And join us next time on The Sarah Centrella Show.